Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Today's Father's Day. Got that? So I'm going to do a sermon on Father's Day. Pretty clever, huh? Well, it's downhill from here. But before I get into the Father's Day sermon, I want to fully acknowledge that mothers are equally important, and we honor them on Mother's Day for their wonderful contributions to families as well as our society and our country. And also when I'm talking about fathers, I'm going to be talking about grandfathers today too because that's part of the equation. Uh, when you have children, you never stop being a father or a mother. And then at some point, if you're really blessed, you get to be a grandfather. And that's the home run of life. That's the best part. Um, so Father's Day is just like Mother's Day only not as expensive. <laughs> How many guys got flowers today? Well, there's 50 bucks we saved. How many got breakfast in bed? We're 0 for 2, guys. Anybody get a card? There we go. That's not the point. It's wonderful. I'm uh, I'm going to start out with a couple of jokes because I'm going to get into some pretty heavy stuff, okay? So here's a couple of things to think about. A little child in church for the first time watched as the ushers passed the offering plates. When they neared the pew where he sat, the little youngster piped up so loud that everybody could hear him, don't pay for me, daddy, I'm under five. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. The father of five children had won a toy at a raffle. He called his children together and asked which ones should get the present. Who is the most obedient, he asked. Who never talks back to mommy, he asked. And who does everything mommy says? Five small voices replied in unison, okay, daddy, you get the toy. A Generation, Father's, Generation X Father's Day card said, things my dad would never say. Can you turn up that music, please? Go ahead and take my truck. Here's 50 bucks for gas. I love your tattoo. We should get one together. Here, you take the remote. And this one I printed off, but unfortunately, it's on like type 2 font. I just saw it this morning, so out come the cheaters. This is for grandfathers. The little girl was sitting in her grandfather's lap as he was reading her a story. From time to time, she would take her eyes off the book and reach up to touch his wrinkled cheek. By and by, she was alternately stroking her own cheek, then his again. Finally, she spoke, Granddaddy, did God make you? Yes, sweetheart, he answered. God made me a long time ago. Oh, she said then, Granddaddy, did God make me too? Yes, indeed, honey, he answered her. God made you just a little while ago. Oh, she said, feeling their faces again, she observed, God's getting better at it now, isn't he? We laugh, and now I'm going to read some statistics that are relevant to fathers, and they're sobering. And there's quite a few of them because I want the impact to be upon you as much as it's been on me. 
These are statistics taken from Department of Labor, from churches, from sociology, from colleges, etc. They're all sobering. 23.8% of U.S. children, 17.4 million, lived in a father-absent home in 2014. In 2011, children living in female-headed homes with no spouse present had a poverty rate of 47.6%. That's over four times the rate for children living in a married couple's family. A study of 1,397,801 infants in Florida showed that the lack of father involvement impacts infant mortality. It was linked to earlier births as well as lower birth rates. It was also found that father absence increases the risk of infant mortality. And with the first 28 days of life, infants without a father is four times higher their mortality rate. A study of 263 13-8-year-old adolescent women seeking psychological services found that the adolescents from father absent homes were 3.5 times more likely to experience pregnancy than were adolescents from father present homes. Moreover, the rate of pregnancy among adolescents from father absent homes was 17.4% compared to 4%. A study of 1,680 Latino high school students found that lower perceived father support is a predictor of suicidal behavior. Individuals from father absent homes were found to be 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. A study of the relationship between father absence and lower educational attainment for African-American females was found that a longer duration of father absence is predictive factor for lower educational success. Researchers discovered that longer duration of father absence often leads to lower income and family economic stress, which puts young women at risk for lower educational achievement. Children with negative attitudes about school and their teachers experienced avoidance and ambivalence from their fathers. On the other hand, children with a secure attachment to their father and whose father was involved had a higher academic self-concept. Father involvement is related to positive, cognitive, developmental, and socio-behavioral child outcome, which simply means such as improved weight gain in preteen infants, higher receptive language skills, and higher academic achievement. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the number of children with an incarcerated father grew 79% between 1991 and 2007. Black fathers accounted for nearly half, 46% of all children with an incarcerated father. 55% of welfare recipients are raised by single mothers. 48% of all Head Start recipients are from father absent homes and 37% of public assistance and Section 8 housing are female-headed households. Summary, four times more likely to live in poverty, more likely to suffer emotional and behavioral problems, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to go to prison, more likely to commit crime, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of high school. That's what happens when fathers aren't present, when fathers aren't fathers. Many fathers leave their families through divorce or simply desertion. Many fathers, when I practiced law and did some divorce work, never pay child support. 
They, they're never there. They're a part of a unit that, that they don't exist in. Some fathers are absent, even though they're physically present. Some fathers put their jobs and their vocation ahead of their family. Now, I know dads, there are times when we have to work hard. Moms, too. There's times we have to put in long hours. But if you're doing it to stay away from your family versus rather to support your family, then we have an issue. We have a problem. There are workaholics that don't care about their families as much as they do being at the office. These statistics, these actual facts, are taking a toll on our country. There's lots of factors, and I don't want to be a negative pessimist, but there's a lot of factors in the moral decline of this country. And I want to submit to you, don't blame Republicans or Democrats, or Nancy Pelosi or Paul Ryan, or Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump for the problems of this country. I think a significant portion of the issues that this country is facing is a result of absent fathers or irresponsible fathers. It's a heavy duty, guys. I wish I'd have come up with this phrase, I didn't, but I'm going to copy it. To be absent physically is to be absent responsibly. Now, the absence of fathers is not limited to the United States. It's a universal calamity. On a personal note, I just returned from Kazakhstan and Tajikistan. And if you don't know where they're at, I didn't know where they were either. They're on the other side of the globe in Central Asia. Uh, for some of you know, I'm the new executive director for a ministry called Bible Mission, and we build churches and orphanages in that area. And we have lots of villages where there are widows and orphans. Some of these widows are because the husband died. The mortality rate there is like an average adult lives to be like 52. There's a lot of what they call work widows. That means the husband couldn't make enough money in that country, went off to another part of the Soviet Union or to Europe or whatever, and never came back. Oftentimes they are, have found new families and started new families there and deserted their families. The results are that there are children who are, have mothers without any source of income. They're street children. They're abandoned children. The absence of a father there is dangerous. One widow that we visited, her husband died, and in the Muslim culture, and these are primarily Muslim countries, and an encouraging thing, thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ, and this organization and other organizations are training them and discipling them and, and teaching them and serving them. But when there's no father present, these widows are at risk. There's an example of, I was at this orphanage, and there's this little girl, I was sitting on a swing with her, sweet little thing, about, about 12, 14, 13 years old, she wouldn't say, and through a translator, she was kind of shy, but through a translator, I said, tell me about yourself, and she was sweet, and like I said, this orphanage supported by Christians is, they get three meals a day, they have clean clothes, they have running water, they have all the things, it's not the Ritz-Carlton, but it's a wonderful place. And she was dressed well. And so I started talking to her, and I said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, I play tennis. Really? Are you good at it? And she said, and the translator said, yeah, she's won some medals. And I said, well, would you show them to me? So she runs into her dorm room, comes back with these medals, and I'm talking to her. I'm so proud of her and got to know her. Her name was Jasmine. And so when we were leaving, the pastor said, John, would you like to know her story? I said, yeah. Her father died, and the ISIS Taliban took her 
and were training her to be a suicide bomber when she was nine years old. Her uncle rescued her from the Taliban and ISIS and brought her to the orphanage. She couldn't speak. She was so traumatized because she didn't have a father there to protect her, so ISIS took her. Thanks to the love of Jesus Christ and through the love of his followers, she's that little girl sitting there playing tennis, winning awards. Jesus did that. But the father wasn't there for her. One lady's husband died, and because in that culture the wife does not inherit, the brothers took over the house and she was out and alone. She was totally alone. And the church that we worked through was building her a house, and she was being saved, we were bringing her food. The stark reality, we don't have to go to Tajikistan or Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan. It's right here in our own home town. We've got issues. So, what's missing for these children, like that sweet song, Father, I Want to Be Just Like You, is fathers as role models. So I'm going to talk to you about that today, fathers as role models. The first role model they are is that they are a role model of God. Guys, that's heavy. But when you think about it, psychologists tell us that the first impression that they have of God is of their Father. Because they hear us pray, our Father who art in heaven, so God is our Father. So God is a Father. So if God's a Father, then he must be like my dad, the Father. They hear us opening the prayer, Heavenly Father. Their impression, their first impression of God is us fathers. That's scary, and that's important we understand that. So if their earthly father is absent, where's God? If their earthly father is abusive and mean and deserts them, is that what God's like? And you wonder why our, many children are leaving the church, are leaving this country in moral decay. Again, it points back to fathers. They don't have a model of God to start out with. What attributes of God do they see in their father? What attributes of God is it that they're looking for? Now, God has all kinds of attributes, and I can't cover any, nearly many of them, but I'm going to cover a few. I'm going to keep it simple. To a little child, God is big and strong. He's a big God. They learned that he created the whole world. He just spoke it into existence. He made mountains. He made oceans. He's big and he's strong and he's powerful. And he can wipe out enemies with fire and brimstone. He's big and strong. So is daddy. Daddy can pick them up with one hand. Daddy can carry heavy objects. And when they get old enough, if they've wrestled with daddy, they realize that he's pretty strong. I wrestled with my sons all the time in the swimming pool, so if one of us fell down, we wouldn't get hurt. That's me. My son, Brian, got to be about 18. Up until then, I could take him. At 18, it was a tie, and we don't do it anymore. <laughs> but until then, I was stronger than him. I was bigger than him. They look for power and strength, and that's an encouragement to them. You know, my daddy can beat up your daddy. That means that my daddy is big and strong, and I can count on him. Imagine this, a child, let's say, is 
let's take three feet tall and you're six feet tall. Now, I, I'm six foot seven, so that's a little disproportionate. But if you ever notice, when I talk to children, I usually get down on my knees. But if, if you're six feet tall, then you're twice as tall as that three foot child. So in comparison to you, a person who is twice your height would be 12 feet tall. Imagine walking up to somebody who's 12 feet tall. Dads, we're big. God is big. We're big. We have to acknowledge that and accept that and understand that that bigness and that strength is something that the children look up to and they need that strength. They need that encouragement. Part of that strength is that God, another attribute of God is that he's protective. Everybody here from age one to 99, as believers, when we are in trouble, when the world is coming against us, when things are hard, when we're grieving, when th- we go to God for our protection. God, save me. God, protect me from this. God, help me lead, lead me through this. Just like a child goes to their father for protection. And though we don't ever want to see our children hurt or afraid, it happens. But dads, wasn't that a wonderful moment when that little daughter or son comes running to you and only daddy can hold her in his big arms and comfort her or him because they needed your protection. They knew that you would take care of them. They knew that you would be there for them. Just they want to know that God will be there for them. They need to be kept safe. Our safety is not in our wealth. It's not in our army. It's not in our strength. It's in God. And the same thing for children. They need a God who is strong and safe, and they need a Father who is strong and safe. Another attribute is God is a provider. I've told Susie, sweetheart, I'm not your provider. I'll work hard. I'll bring home the paycheck. But God is our provider. We look to him. Children look to their fathers. They see dad and mom, moms too, Bringing home the groceries, paying the rent. Children don't worry about paying the rent or the mortgage or the taxes or the telephone bill. They know that they have a provider. And when they understand that God is a provider and their dad is a provider, then they've got a connection between those two that makes them feel assured. Another attribute of God is that he's loving and gentle. Yes, he's a powerful God. Yes, he's a strong God. And their daddies are big and strong but daddies are gentle too. Dads, macho, powerful, strong men, tell me how macho you were when they handed you that first child and you held that minutes-old baby in your arms. I cried. I lost it. I wasn't macho. I wasn't big. I was strong. I was so afraid I was going to break her but I held her as gently as I could and as carefully as I could. And that's the impression that children need to know that Father God holds them gently and lovingly in his arms. They need to understand that their dad will take care of them, protect them, and hold them gently and will be there for them. The uh, other thing that I think is important that God is affirming God affirms us. We go to him and we mess up. And he doesn't say, okay, you jerk. This is it. He says, no, I love you. And you're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I know you've sinned, but I love you. You're important. I made you. I created you. I'm affirming that you are important to me. 
children need that affirmation. They're going to mess up. They're going to make mistakes, but they need to be affirmed. As a father, I know I wasn't the best father. I think I was a good father. But I remember Ellen telling me this was before she died. She was in a class at the university and was some psychology class. And it was primarily, it wasn't a women's class, but the professor was a woman. And she said, well, I know you daughters here, you, you, you girls here, you ladies here, probably have never been affirmed by your fathers. And, and you've grown up thinking that you're lesser than, you know, the whole women's lib thing. Thank, my daughter raised her hand and says, oh, no. My dad said I can be anything I want to be. Yes. I affirmed her. I told her that she is loved by God and she's important to God and she's really important to me. And they need that. The other one is a little different. In a sense, it's combining God and Jesus. God is redeeming. He is forgiving and redeeming. He saves us. I think years ago when I was preaching, I may have told this story, but it's applicable here. I was a little boy in North Dakota, about six or seven maybe. My brother was three and a half years older than me. And we were at a basketball game and we went outside because we were bored with basketball. And on the side of the church at Kindred School, we were throwing, my brother was throwing rocks up against and his friends against the wall. There was no windows, there's no destruction. They're just trying to see how close they could get to this particular line of brick. So I wanted to be like my brother, only I'm three and a half years younger. I pick up a big old rock, and I just throw it as hard as I can. Well, it doesn't go up and down. It goes that way and that way. Something about geometry, the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection, something like that. Car window. Smash. We ran. Fugitives. Got home that night. My dad was sitting having a cup of coffee. And my dad spanked me, but I knew he loved me. And I knew I had to tell him. So I came up and I said, Dad, I'm really sorry. And I told him what happened. He said, it was my fault. I didn't mean to do it, but I had to tell you, Dad. And he said, son, that was a mistake, but you told me. You didn't lie to me, so you're not going to get a spanking. I said, Dad, how much does a window cost? And he said, my dad said, we're going to have to replace that. How much does a window cost? And this is 1957. He said probably like $60, which was a lot of money then. On a nickel a week allowance, <laughs> I'm still paying for that thing. <laughs> and my, I said to my dad through tears, I, I, I don't have the money. I can't pay for that. My dad said, I know, son. I'll pay for it for you. Years later, I realized, Jesus, Heavenly Father, I've sinned, and I can't pay for that. And he says, I know, I'll pay for it for you. That was a picture I had of God the Father and his mercy, his redemption, and his forgiveness. So there are, we are a role model of God. We're also a role model of husbands to our children. Sons learn how to be husbands by watching godly fathers who are husbands. Or they learn how to be husbands by watching bad, hus bad fathers be bad husbands. Daughters look to their own husbands to be a husband like their father if he was a good father. Does a father model love, respect, and honor to his wife, their mother? 
Does he provide for the family as best he can? Kids don't want to be rich. They think they do, but they don't really. They just want to know that they're secure, that there's, there's food in the refrigerator. In Kazakhstan, we would bring food, and these kids realized that they were secure because they now had food. They don't have refrigerators, but they had food. If a, wa- a daughter has a godly father, husband, she wants a godly husband for herself. And remember how many models of fatherhood as husbands are lacking. The statistics I read, those, those daughters and sons don't have a model of a husband. Their model of a husband is you leave, you desert, you don't take responsibility. How many young people say they, they get a woman pregnant and they say, well, she's on her own or I'm not going to marry her or whatever. We're perpetuating this cycle, but it can be broken, but we're perpetuating the cycle. The other thing that, that we are role models as is father, we're models, role models of being a man. Not in the world's image of a man, some macho, redneck, whatever, but a man who's gentle and loving like we talked about. A Christian man. Not abusive, not authoritarian, but understanding. To your daughters, you'll be a model for what they look for in a husband. They're going to look for a real man, a Christian man. How do you model being a godly father and being a godly man? It's a tough job. How do you do it? Through Jesus Christ. Here's some things I think are important that we do. Be in the Word. Do your children and your grandchildren see you reading the Bible? Do they hear you speaking God's Word? Do you you quote uh, verses to them sometimes? Do you read the Bible to them? Grandfathers, that's one of the best gifts we can do. We can read Harry Potter, but how about reading Bible stories to them, sitting in our lap? Be in prayer as a model God, Father. Do they see you praying, not just at mealtime, or now I lay me down to sleep, but do they see a praying dad, a praying mother? Do you pray with them, and do you tell them that you're praying for them? Do you walk the talk? Do they see Jesus in you, just like that little boy, I see Jesus in you? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Bracelets were made. It was a fad. It was a catchy thing, but that's exactly what us fathers should be doing. What would Jesus do? Remember that father bumping into the car, could have run away. Nobody saw him, but he put his information. Of course, he could have said, I ran into your car. Good luck. But he put information, I'm sure his name, address, etc. They see that. I remember my sons told me long after they had grown up that we were at a store and I'd given somebody some money, like $10, and they gave me, I was supposed to get back 12 get like $6 change, and I got $16 change. And I was walking out, wasn't paying attention, I looked at the money, and I said, uh-oh, i got to take this back. They overpaid me. Didn't say anything to my kids. Wasn't like, look at how good dad is, aren't I wonderful and honest. No, I just did it. Years later, they said, dad... Every time somebody gave us more money back than we deserved, we thought of that time. What if I had said, ha, stupid clerk, gave me an extra $10, isn't that great? What kind of impression does that make? 
What kind of example is that? What would Jesus do? Grandfathers. We, as fathers, with children who have grown, are not as much directly contacted or related in the sense of communication with our children. We're not raising them anymore. But we get a second chance. We don't get to raise our grandchildren, but we kind of get to do it over again. And there's a lot of things we've done wrong as fathers, I'm sure we all have, but we get to kind of fix it as grandfathers. And for all you mothers out there who have children, yes, a part of it is spoiling our grandchildren. It's a part of the deal, so just get used to it. We get to do what we want to do. The most important thing I think that grandfathers can do is listen to their grandchildren. Instead of saying, well, when I was your age, or here's what I think you ought to do, listen to them. Listen to their needs Listen to them, and, and open up to them. They're going to think that you're really wise. And my definition of wisdom is simply experiences, plural, over time. I don't think I'm any smarter. In fact, I think I've lost some brain cells over the years. But my only wisdom is that I've done a lot of things, and I've done some things wrong. They also talked about in one of the films about failure. I don't know about you people, but I've learned a lot more from my failures than I have from my successes. I've learned that to fail is to start over and try again. And share those failures with your children and your grandchildren. I mean, Grandpa, you're perfect. You're old and you're wise. And say, well, I made some mistakes in my life too. As they're sharing some of the issues they have, share your life with them. Because if they're afraid to fail, then they'll be afraid to try. So let them know that you can, they can fail. The summary of this section for me is, Fathers, grandfathers, know the way, show the way, and then go the way. Quickly, I want to talk about two fathers in the Bible. There's lots of biblical fathers, and I'm running a little short on time. I hadn't timed this, so I should be done 30, 45 minutes. Hang in there. <laughs> the first one is Asher. Who? Asher, Old Testament. In 1 Chronicles, the first nine chapters of 1 First Chronicles are genealogies. And those are the ones that we read very, very carefully and understand the names and really get into that. No, you don't. You skip over it. I know you do. When I'm teaching, I'll go, and Asher, you can do it. And I can't pronounce them anyway, so I just jump over them. But hidden in that Verse 30, it gives through Asher's genealogy. These are the genealogy of Asher, the sons of Asher. It goes through multiple generations. And then in verse 40, it says this. All these were the sons of Asher, heads of the father's houses, choice and mighty men of valor, heads of princes. The Bible is describing what kind of father Asher was by describing what kind of kids' sons turned out. It's not just Asher's genealogy, it's Asher's legacy. The first description was that they were heads of fathers. That means that they took the role of leadership and headship seriously. We're taught that Jesus is the head of the church. This church has a saying, we are Christ-led, elder-guarded, 
pastor-guided and congregation-engaged. But we start out with being Christ-led because Christ is the head of the church. And the head of the body is the one that tells the body what to do. And so Asher's sons were heads of the household. They were heads of family. They were heads of fathers. They took that responsibility of leadership very significantly. And I know that we've had all kinds of sermons on headship and about fatherhood and submit to your wives, submit to your husbands. I'm not going to go there. Wives and husbands are partners. It just happens to be God's plan that he chose to have fathers be the heads of the households. And all these statistics that I've gone through and all the things you know about, if there's no father, there's no headship. And that's a violation of God's plan. And the results are the tragedies that we see. It also says that they were um, strong, choice, and mighty men of valor. When the Bible says mighty men of valor, that means they were warriors. They were strong warriors. Men have a warrior gene. It doesn't mean we want to do war. It means that we're willing to go to war and be warriors on behalf of our family, protect our family and our country. And to those men and women who have given their ultimate sacrifice for this country, men, of, men and women of valor. The other final thing was that then he said his, their sons were heads of the princes. That's translated meaning that they were, they were leaders. And you don't have to be a senator or a congressman or a governor but you should be involved in the community if the opportunity presents itself. The other father, which I'm going to talk briefly about, is in the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son, we always focus on the prodigal son. He's the main character. I don't think so. I think the father is the main character. Son plays an important role, but it's the story about the father's relationship to his sons. And I'm just going to talk about the prodigal son. The son said he went, he took all of his inheritance and took, went it all to a far, ran away from his father's house, his father's house, and ran away. We know the story. He ends up with the pigs and so on and so forth. Well, the first thing I picked from that when I was thinking about fathers is that that father let his son go. Now, in that culture, fathers were total, total authoritarians. That father could have said, no, you're staying right there. Secondly, he let him take his inheritance. He was the youngest. He wasn't entitled to it. You're not entitled to an inheritance until somebody's dead. But his father let him take that. God loves us. He's our father. And sometimes he lets us go. He doesn't force us to stay. From the beginning in the garden, he gave us free will. And as a father, he let him go to a faraway place. Young people like to get as far away from home as possible. I only went 80 miles from Fargo up to Grand Forks, but I was away from home. And I had a great family, but there's something about getting away from home. And it's times that we are, it's good to let your children go. It's good for them to grow up. It's good for them to start their own families. But also they need to know that there's restrictions and restraints. Time-wise, I'm not going to finish the story about that, but the father, the important thing about the father and God the father is that when that son came back, he didn't disinherit him. He didn't say, that's it, you're going to... son said, I'm willing to be a servant, which back then meant slave. I'm willing to be a servant. And he welcomed him back, the fatted calf, the robe, and everything. And he restored him. When our children make mistakes, forgiveness, maybe there needs to be discipline, but we restore them. I'm an estate planning attorney, 
in the 38 years I've been doing wills and trusts, there has been in the last approximately 10 years a disproportionate amount of dysfunctional families where parents are having to disinherit their children because the children have disinherited them. I don't want anything to do with you, mom and dad. And there's people in this congregation who've gone through that. I know. I've counseled some of them. Nothing that the parents have done, the children are just rebellious and they've had to let them go. And the pain as I am drafting those documents, I have a son named so-and-so and I hereby disinherit him. It's got to be in the document. You have, to no you have to notify that in the document. Otherwise, he gets a share under New Mexico law. That's the pain of dysfunctionality of children that the world is pulling away. So, pretty heavy role to be a father. Pretty heavy. But I want to encourage you dads and really give you an uplifting, concluding message. You can't do it. You can't. God can. You surrender to him and say, God, I want to be the best father I can be. Show me. Teach me. Guide me. Through his word, through prayer. Allow him to be the father. We've made mistakes. I wrote these things down. We know the things that we said we wish we hadn't said. We know the words we hadn't said that we wish we had said. We know the things we wish we had done which we hadn't done. We know the things we haven't done which we wish we had done. As you know, I lost my daughter, Ellen, three and a half years ago. And there are times when I am burdened by, I wish I would have said this, I wish I would have done this. And I think I was a good father. But dads, they're not going to be here forever, and you may lose them. I don't want to talk about that. But tell them you love them now. Write that card. Tell them you appreciate them. Tell them you're proud of them. Affirm them. Be the father you want that they want you to be. Let me finish. Start on a light note. Let me finish on a light note to cheer things up a little bit. Three children sent their father a special present on Father's Day. Their father was old, somewhat disoriented, and hard of hearing with poor vision and perhaps some dementia. Had very few years left, so they wanted to give him something really special. The first child sent his father a brand new Mercedes-Benz. The second child sent the father an expensive cruise around the world, and the third child sent his father a parrot. Now this parrot was a very, very expensive parrot. It had been trained for 12 years to know the whole Bible from front to cover. If you said verse, it would, have, it would give you the verse, just like that. After some time, the father called the children and told the first child that although he appreciated the new car, the DMV has taken away his license. He called the second child, and said, I thank you for the cruise, but you should have remembered that I'm kind of seasick and I can't do it anymore. But to the third child, he said, I want to thank you so very much for the lovely chicken. It was tasty. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 